2: OK, let's start. I'm, I've just been slightly distracted because I've got a copy of Jilly Cooper's new book. It's quite a heavyweight tome, both intellectually and literally. And uh, I'm looking forward to this because it's about football. Now, normally, Jilly Cooper's books are set in worlds that don't mean a great deal to me. Equestrian.
3: Yes, although she did do one about an orchestra as well, didn't oh, she? Oh, did she? Yes, Of uh, well, course, you, with your musical background, you'll have enjoyed that. What was that called? I can't remember. Strings.
2: Uh, no strings attached.
3: <laughs> no, because they're it's all quite good, is not it th- th- This, this uh, her latest oeuvre yeah. I'm going to say latest over the last kind of four decades. Yeah, it'll say in the front. Okay, I'm they're all look. just one word, aren't they? Uh, score. Score. That would it. That's it. So, yeah. can you read the other ones, please? The titles? riders. Yeah.
2: Rivals, yes, polo. So those are all
3: in the equestrian world.
2: The man who made husbands jealous. That's still in the equestrian world, I think. was
3: it a passionata? That might have headed off into the world of choirs and music. Uh, Score? I think that's the one about the orchestra. Pandora? That's
2: That's about about a girl. It's about a
0: box.
3: Um, Wicked? Cricket? Was it? Well, it must be set in the world of cricket. Wicked? Oh, I thought you said wicket. Jump? With an oh, apostrophe. That's probably show jumping.
2: And mount with an exclamation mark. That's about climbing. That's
3: about hill walking. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a lovely, really, very really, pro- sexy one. i probably
2: have enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> do you know the book I've got that I definitely did love by um, Julie Cooper was her book about a class or class, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And I might bring that in, because I think it probably still rings true.
3: Can I just have a look at that great yeah. big list? I mean, the woman is prolific, she? Isn't is prolific, she? and
2: she's well into her 80s now, isn't she?
3: Yes. Yeah. Oh, so look, there they all are. Emily, Bella, Harriet, Octavia, Prudence, Imogen, Lisa and Co. Mm. They're, they're definitely girls' names of a certain Type. kind of yeah. genre, aren't mm. they? Yeah. But No Jane, unfortunately.
2: No, although um, I am reading... I mean, there's so much in this book that there's no way either of us can speed through the whole lot of it. Philippa Gregory has written this incredible book about women's history going back thousands of years. And Philippa Gregory is on, I think, the programme next week, but I think we're doing the interview this week. Gosh, our lives are complicated. And um, there are some names that have held true and have still been in existence throughout the last thousand years in England... And um, there are... Uh, Eleanor is a name that's always been around. Matilda is another one. Yes. And Jane.
3: And Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, yes. Yeah. Although
2: I think Elizabeth was less common sort of back back in the day.
3: Well, it must have gone as far back as the 17th century. Yeah, but that's not that far... That's not that long ago, mm, is it? It is. It's quite a long way. How to Stay Married is one of her first... Well, it's her first non-fiction mm. work. I might buy a copy of that. <laughs>
2: I'll get you one for Christmas.
3: <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, look.
2: Ah, ha, ha. Um, uh, Jilly Cooper is with us <laughs> in a week or two. Right. It's uh, spooky time.
3: Spooky time. But can I do differentiating the colons first? Please? Yes,
2: because that's more important. Yes.
3: So this is from another Jane, Jane Fowler, who says, uh, hello, Jane, and welcome back, Fee. Yep, yeah, just feel do. Uh, just a quick email to share the explanation I was given for the difference between colons and semicolons. This is just gorgeous. If a colon is a fanfare, a semicolon is a polite cough. Yeah, I think that, that does it. Yeah, that's Did that Just say that, say that again. If a colon is a fanfare, yeah. a semicolon
2: is a polite cough. Okay, Anar's covered in a sheet and he's outside pretending to be a ghost. Oh, okay. It's pathetic, isn't it? If they think that's going to disturb us.
3: Oh, he's moving a bit more quickly now. Well, of course, we've had some very, we've had some other visitors to the building today. We can't talk about that. Not allowed to talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. I'll tweet about it later. Uh, No, you won't.
2: You've been told that you can't.
3: What both of them? Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Okay. Won't.
2: Have you ever heard the expression "lips sealed"? Yes. Right. We'll pay attention to it. Okay. Have you heard about... Uh, so I love this. I mean, it makes me so angry with the modern world. This concept of silent walking that people are talking about on TikTok. What a load of absolute crap. This business where you can go... It's a thing just to go out for a walk without listening to anything. <laughs> people are talking about it like it's something interesting. Oh, dear.
3: I know. It is sad, isn't it? But at least, uh, at least, it's the young ones discovering something that we always knew was good, and there's something quite nice about that, isn't there? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, right. Uh, let's do um, spooky things because we've got a picture of some ghosts. I'd like to thank the correspondent Fleur who sent us this image, and there's no getting away from this fee. She sent us a picture of some ghosts, didn't you?
3: Well, I've stared at this long and hard. Uh, and I honestly don't know what to make of it. They're ghosts. Fleur sounds and writes like a very sentient, very sensible yep. creature, mm-hmm. uh, but she sent us a picture of an abbey with... I mean, it just looks a little bit like a kind of 1970s sitcom is just about to be filmed, because if they okay, if they are ghosts, Jane, mm-hmm. why have they come back to this world? Yep. One of them's dressed in a, a kind of uh, what looks like a rather... Uh, exotic white tuxedo mm-hmm. style suit, and then one of them's got the flowing robes just like what Anar had on. Yeah. Why would you come back dressed like that? It's very impractical. You're going to get dirty. I mean, do you have a washing machine where you are? I don't know, but do you want to read Fleur's email? Well,
2: we, what we can't do, uh, Fee is assume that there aren't washing machines in the spirit world. No, I mean, you're we, right. We can't. <laughs> I don't.
3: agree. It's a bold choice. Um, <laughs> and of all of the white right goods. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that the washing machine would be it. Well, Fleur points out that
2: um, when her children were little, uh, most weekends were spent in local parks, and one of our favourites, she says, was Sawley Park near Clitheroe. Uh, that's in Lancashire, and it overlooks the ruins of Sawley Abbey. I do hope I'm pronouncing Sawley Abbey right. The kids used to play in the park, and when they got bored of that, we used to take them into the abbey ruins where they would play cafes in hidey holes. You'll see from the picture I've enclosed that it was a hot summer's day. While the kids were playing in the park, I climbed up onto the climbing frame frame, to capture a picture of the ruined abbey in the summer sunshine. And what an idyllic image of rural England this is. There were other tourists looking around the abbey ruins, so I waited until they'd moved out of view before capturing a picture of the abbey without any people in it. And she's put that in capitals. I thought no more of the picture and we took the kids into the abbey and I took another picture within the abbey of my daughter posing on the night stairs. That image is also enclosed. Eventually, I looked through my camera roll and to my surprise, I noticed that my ruined abbey picture had, and if we had a budget for this podcast, we'd now have some important music, had some white figures in it. I cannot explain what or who they are. They are not monks. I do not know why they are in the picture. These white figures are standing on the night stairs in the same place where I later took a picture of my daughter posing. I did briefly look into the history of Sawley Abbey and the night stairs are supposed to be haunted. As a footnote to this, I did recently remember the picture again and I used it when teaching a ghost story to my GCSE English group to illustrate Gothic setting. The cheeky cynics accuse me of Photoshopping the figures into the picture for their entertainment. However, I have abject IT skills and this would not be possible.
3: Well, I think what we have here is living proof of ghosts. So we'll put it up on the Insta. Eve will do that for us. Yes, and uh, we, we will up to the take all of your opinions and your thoughts. And, I mean, you can try and destroy the magic and tell us how that might have happened. But we might all have to just live with the magic and be a believer. Well, I think today of all
2: days, if you're listening on October 31st, this is time to wave all cynicism goodbye and just embrace the possibility. Embrace all your souls. Could somebody be trying to contact you? from the other side
3: well we did talk about this didn't we because we, we did an interview with uh, Dolly Alderton which will be put out at a later date I'm so confused we're, <laughs> we're, honestly, we're both very confused <laughs> today about who's doing what, when, where literally we've just been kind of walked into studio as <laughs> sit down to an interview I don't know, anyway uh, there's a lovely little line actually and, and that's all it is uh, right at the end of her new novel called Good Material thank you uh, where one of her main protagonists reveals that she has gone to see a psychic, and the psychic just uh, says one thing. In fact, it's during a séance, isn't it? Mm. One thing that she really, probably, properly recognizes as the behaviour of her grandmother, and it's just such a specific detail. It's a you know really kind of tingle down the spine moment, and it's quite key to a big decision that she then makes. And, uh, I mean, you believe that you're in contact with the other side. You just believe that you're in charge of everything, yeah. which is so worrying. I think it's an ism, Jenny. I think you should
0: get
2: yeah. it seen to. Oh, do you think I might have something? <laughs> I bloody hope so, because then I could write an article about it. No, um,
3: Fantastic. I'm... Fantastic. Whatever it is you have, I don't know. Well, I could, oh, I I could write a book write about, about it for you. You could do about that. About what I've got. <laughs> Very much so. And it could suddenly be a revelation yes, as to how this has affected all of your life. And well done you for getting through it. I know. Because it's been so tough and that way you've ended up. Imagine my... if you'd known earlier. My... Oh, God, my life could have been so different. Well, I tell you what, I mean, that would be ironic, isn't it? If, you, if you've got an ism that's about being psychic... And then you write a book saying, "If only I'd known that earlier." That's a, torturous <laughs> okay. That's too. That
2: is too metaphor words.
3: Okay. Have you ever seen a clairvoyant or a psychic? Well, no, but I've but I've had my I've had my fortune read, and and this is what Dolly says that, um, not to call these people charlatans at all, but some of them have a knack of <laughs> just identifying. Like. <laughs> A tiny detail, yes. which then comes true in your life, which makes you think that everything else that they've said would be true. Mm. And it's always the mundane mm. thing, isn't it? And I went to see a fortune teller who said loads and loads of things about my personality and my love life and my you know, predictions of what was going to happen in my life and all that kind of stuff, um, but just said some one really specific thing about furniture being moved in my sitting room. And a week later, I had to move all the furniture around to my sitting room because I had a funny leak yeah. coming in through. One of the, the thingy windows mm. at the top, and of course I made that connection. Oh gosh, that's what she meant. I've had to move all of the furniture it's, around, but yeah, I mean it was a leak in the stretch Yeah, but it's but it's clever stuff, isn't it? it makes you yes. Believe. I mean, I, if you want to believe, yeah, if
2: you want to believe. I mean, my my mum did go to I think it was a meeting of the group she used to go to, which was maybe like, it's called Young Wives, um, and <laughs> she <she's> still <laughs> goes.
3: <going. laughs> she doesn't go <play> anymore no. <laughs> Is there a, a splinter group she, called she's Old you nine. Wives. <laughs> <laughs> When do you have to move yeah.
2: from young wife to old? Well, wife? And this is just a well, she's not a young wife because I am her daughter. So imagine how old she must be. Anyway, it does. It used to make my sister and I laugh, even back in the seventies when she went to young wives, and they would occasionally there wouldn't be a topic for their meetings, and they would just have something called a knit and natter night. It's just all a long time ago, isn't it? No, it's not. Actually,
3: a friend of mine, Karen, she still goes to Knit and Natter. Oh, does she? Okay. I used to go to Sit and Bitch.
2: Oh, Sit and... Yes, Knit and Bitch. Not sit and bitch, knit and bitch, sit and bitch. Well, you can do all of you can do all of them. Stitch, Stitch and bitch. bitch. Thanks, Eve. Thanks, Eve. Thank God you know where I've been. Yeah, quite. I guess, yeah. um, perhaps I think perhaps he has got a gift. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, uh, no, my mum was told once at one of these meetings by a supposed uh, fortune teller that one of her daughters would become a successful estate agent. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm not even sure they
3: said successful. <laughs> they just said as an estate agent. Jane, there's still time. <laughs> yeah, there, there is. The door may close on this glorious <laughs> opportunity quite soon. Well, there you go. Uh, <clears throat> right. Do you know what? You'd be a terrible estate agent, Jane, because for a start, you'd be quite judgmental about everybody else's <laughs> houses. You wouldn't really want to show people round. I think you might be quite judgmental about the kind of people. I, and no. you'd probably tell them... You probably say things like this isn't the house for you.
2: I don't think you'd fit in round here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, well, I can't bear, I don't know whether they still do this, you know that blurb about properties? Because I do, I mean, like anybody, I, go, I visit a part of the country and then I go on right move. Do oh. you do this? Well, I go on prime location, but yes. Uh, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I always have a look and um, it, it's all this stuff about boasting a tiled splashback. Yes. I um, mean, you just think, who boasts about a tiled splashback? Stunny stunning west-facing aspect. Well, it's just utter bollocks. They, why haven't they changed all that
3: stuff? Because it just write the blurb in plain English in a catchy and appetising and yeah, appealing way. I completely agree, um, and and actually the estate agency that did start writing up very realistic. Uh, details mm. that just said something like cramped kitchen, yeah. dull bathroom, slimy hallway. S- smells faintly of cat pee. Yeah, yeah. somebody probably died here, mm. arrow on room. Uh, then they would get a reputation for themselves, wouldn't they? And I'm sure you'd still end up paying the same enormous amount of money. Lydia has a ghost story. We, we, let's try and return. I'm trying to get this podcast back
2: on message. This is the Halloween special, lest we forget. It's from Lydia. To start with, a big thank you for accompanying me for the last five plus years, providing stimulation and comfort to my early mother- motherhood years at home and through the long nights. Oh, God, Lydia, they are long. I may have fallen asleep to your voices, but I've always rewound later in the night or the next day. Yes, I should hope so. I wasn't conscious of a presence myself, but again, if we had a budget, we'd have music. But the night before my wedding, my mum and sister and I, probably not grammatically correct, were staying in a room together in an old hotel. The Tunbridge Wells Hotel, do you know it? In the Pantiles. Yes. My sister was woken by children running through the corridors and thought it was strange for children to be up in the middle of the night. I then sleepily woke to say, who's that little girl at the bottom of the bed? And quickly fell back to sleep, oblivious. My sister then had a very restless night, wide awake and terrified. The next morning, there were no children at all at breakfast and we asked if any were staying in the hotel and they said no. However, she still looked gorgeous in the wedding photos, if a little bit tired. And she adds this detail. My son now does after-school clubs on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I get to listen live. Do well, why don't you send her to after-school club on Mondays and Wednesdays as well? And then you'd be sorted for the whole week. Probably be quite pricey.
3: When I read that last line, I absolutely share in your desire to want to tell us that. Because when when your kids first get accepted to a couple of after-school clubs and mm-hmm. it changes your routine a bit and you've got an extra forty-five minutes on the end of the school day, it's magic.
2: Nothing beats the magic of the two and a half hours nursery, between nine o'clock and eleven thirty, for me. When you, you first get that was the most liberating experience. And I, look, I love I love kiddies, I really do, but there was something absolutely. <coughs> I love kitties. Uh, I just do. And just fabulous. At first, that was when I started. I properly fell in love with
3: coffee <laughs> then. I just went to work. <laughs> okay. Oh dear, that's awful. Yeah, no, no I no, did. I didn't bother with that, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of you were thrilled to uh, hear from Claire Balding on the programme yesterday. Actually, two people in the building have stopped me today saying how much they enjoyed half an hour in Claire's company. She brought a little glass of wine with her. Uh, and we toddled through half an hour of dogs, and uh, she told us some pretty interesting things along the way, actually. And we had a laugh, and Alice... Do you think she's got a future in broadcasting? Her partner joined us too. Uh, I think she may. Mm. Yes, she absolutely may. Um, But we did talk about walking, and and I think because, uh, obviously, Claire and Alice and me are dog owners and really enjoy that dog walking thing, Mm. uh, I think we'd made a kind of assumption, actually, that... Walking with a dog is absolutely marvellous and wonderful and far better than walking without a dog. But there's a but, isn't there? This is interesting, I guess. Yes, think. and this one comes in from Carol, who says... <coughs> excuse me. Alice says that she doesn't go for a walk now that they don't have Archie as it's not the same Archie was their dog who died I have a friend who has a dog and when I've been for a walk with them I find it really frustrating part of what I enjoy when I go for a walk is the rhythm that you get into whilst walking I find it very meditative and even when we walked before she had the dog we would chat all the the while but underneath it was the rhythm of walking now on the few occasions that I've walked with a dog I find that the rhythm is disrupted with the constant stopping To throw a ball, shout at them to come back, or stop eating the poo. I also get frustrated with people assuming that you will love their dog and that you will be quite happy with it jumping up and need for attention. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Carol. Mm. I know my view will not be popular, but we're not all the same, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who loves a walk without the company of a dog. Uh, So thank you for pointing that out, Uh, and I think it's a very good thing to say, actually, and I just hadn't really. Thought about it, I, I just never used to go for walks in London before I had a dog, so I suppose I was stupid to assume that you know walking with a dog is better than walking without a dog. It's just that I never went. Do you ever? Do, well, you do just go for a walk. I do. Don't yes,
2: you? I always, but I kind of combine a walk with some necessary food shop, so I do get really. I, I the idea of a day when I couldn't go out for a walk I find quite frightening, um, and I became quite a walking ten thousand steps a day mad merchant during COVID. Yeah. And I have been known to just go up and downstairs if I'm on 9,710. Yes, I worry about you sometimes, really. You can worry about me a lot, if you like. No, thank you. Um, we've got a lovely... This is really for you, this email, because it's about your old school. I don't know whether we
3: ought to know... We probably shouldn't name the young woman involved, but she's there at the moment. Uh, she is, yes. So it's a pupil in Lower Sixth at St Swithin's. Uh, I've heard you, feed talk about having been to St Swithens and we were mentioned in the same news article. Blimey, I haven't clicked on that. It's in the Telegraph, I don't think I should. I've enjoyed listening to you discuss the school. I wanted to talk about a hobby of mine, singing. I'm part of Farnham Youth Choir, mm-hmm. and we're hoping to go to the World Choir Games in New Zealand in the summer holidays. Oh, wow, I hope you do. That would be amazing. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity for us. However, as a charity, the choir is struggling to pay for it, so we're fundraising as much as we can. If you could do anything for us, like mentioning us on the radio we greatly appreciate it everything helps well look courtesy of uh, Jane who's passed this to me I've read it out thank you very much I don't know how I missed that actually I was a bit all over the shop today I think I've just talked to too many people you do the rest
2: <laughs> great there's a breach and I'm going to step into it I'll tell you what it's oh, not good news for my dinner date is it <laughs> it's going to be an absolute thriller that <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is actually in relation you don't need to contribute to this because it doesn't concern you it's uh, about an interview that um, I did last week with Ed Gamble about his book Glutton and, and during the course of that conversation we were talking about how well, my th- theory for what it's worth that every one of us almost every woman if I'm honest I know has what you might loosely call a relationship with food and um, our correspondent is in Hampshire and she says it was comforting to know that more people than you'd expect think about food as much as we do because um, this woman has uh, had anorexia in her teens and 20s and her husband has also had weight issues all his life he used food as a comfort for trauma she says we are now both at relatively stable weights but we are attempting to raise three children with a healthy relationship with food when our own is still quite warped and we often struggle with our relationship with it I'm terrified, she says, of creating in my children the same attitudes that my husband and I have had when it's all too easy to use biscuits to stop tantrums or tears or pure bribery if they really need to leave for the school run and the toddler just won't budge. Or sometimes we try to get them to finish their dinner because they haven't eaten their vegetables. Every time I do this, I panic. I'm going to cause them an eating disorder. But I get overwhelmed by the day and I can't see any other way. My four-year-old even innocently stepped on the scales the other day and I just froze with fear before hiding them away. Oh, dear. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to pump that one out there because it's not uh, an area I know much about. But I, for other anyone else listening, and there will be somebody listening, won't there, who knows what it's like to have children... Not be able to eradicate your own experience or indeed your husband's experience uh, from your mind while you're dealing with the day to day stuff and they are day to day issues with young children aren't they
3: and I know I've absolutely used food as as bribery to get um to get them to behave God i mean throughout the day Jane. yeah you know yeah. to keep to uh, keep a kid quiet on the bus you know to tempt them to go back into the house as a little treat before they can have the tv on i mean it's just so easy Mm. to um, attach all kinds of things to food so i really feel for you because if that alarm bell's going off in your head all the time then you're not having a great uh, relationship with food anymore yourself are you if you're constantly fearful Mm. that just in you know how how it plays out with your kids it's the whole overthinking thing and
2: I look like, i overthink all sorts of stuff i shouldn't yeah. overthink and it's
3: worst case scenario isn't yeah. it, what it do they it, call
2: it first worst thoughts first worst yes also for what it's worth um i would um i remember the scales thing and in the end i just didn't have i just just chucked the scales somewhere else i just didn't have any because mm-hmm. i've got i've got two daughters and i suppose i was concerned that they might develop some sort of Getting on the scales habit, so we just didn't have any in the house. End of. Yeah, we
3: only have had uh, one full length mirror in the house mm-hmm. during the entire time we've been there. That's a that good thought. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, neither of us are experts here,
2: but I do feel for our correspondents. So, if anyone's got any useful advice, we'd really welcome it. Jane and Fee at Times Shall we head off into our big interview today, Jane? Yes, because it's with a, a very interesting woman. Who's, I mean, I think we need to be honest about the fact that
3: we're not. Experts, are we? Oh, I love a bit of tech. I'm tech curious. I've got a telly. Yes. Well, I think there is a difference between us on this. (laughs) Carry on. Okay. Uh, Debbie Weinstein is the vice president of Google and managing director of Google UK and Ireland. She's terrific. Uh, she's a graduate of Brown University and Harvard Business School and she's still relatively rare, a woman at the top of tech and we talk quite a lot about that in the interview. Uh, she did come in there to celebrate 25 years of Google and it's so weird, Jane, isn't it, to imagine, as we both can, uh, the world before Google came along, before we used it as a verb, yeah, before it allowed us to access so much information, you kind of didn't have to be clever anymore. Well, it's, I, I don't think we fully come to terms with the death
2: of curiosity because you don't need to not know something anymore. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I've got a quick quiz. Have you? What is the highest number under a million that if you were to write it in letters you could do so without the letter N?
3: Oh. Uh. OK. Can I think about that while I get to the end of this queue? Oh. <laughs> without the letter N. Yes. It's a good one, isn't it? Yes, I think you're techie. You don't know the answer to that, do you? I hate it when you get that nasty voice on. It's very unpleasant. Carry on with it. it chills my soul.
2: Uh, where was I? I <laughs> know oh, you've spoken to a lot of people today, <laughs> Debbie Weinstein.
3: I've got at least three more to get through, Jane. We also (laughs) wanted to ask her about AI and to discuss the pathway for younger women in the tech world, which is actually a hugely, hugely important thing, because if we don't get it right in this generation, we are a bit watted. And Jane started by asking her why she hadn't been able to find that much about Debbie on Google.
1: Well, there's there some things out there. Oh I yeah, would say. no, I could yeah. find out
2: a little bit, but probably not as much as you could find out about Fee,
1: okay, or me, okay. I mean, maybe I'm just less interesting. I don't. We'll find out we in know, twenty minutes. We can assess. We know be that's not there. true. Okay. Do you know so what?
3: do not leave this interview and Google me. And I just say, <laughs> well, don't, just don't so Google much me. rather you didn't.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> but uh, you
2: take my point. Sometimes it is um, the most important people, people like you, who wield enormous influence. It is actually quite hard on google interesting to find
1: out about you interesting Hmm. well i uh i think there are some things out about me certainly the views that i have about certainly our products and our development things i've done at unilever in the past um um so there are some things out there i know but uh well i saw you playing the drums on youtube today did you yeah oh yes, i I did play the drums in our l a office. That's hilarious. I didn't know that was actually on YouTube available for anyone to see It is yes, okay yeah. my friend alex angelides was is a drummer, and he encouraged me. He has a whole segment he does around behind the drum set. And so he got me to play the drums. I do not actually play the drums. No, no, in the nicest possible way, Debbie, I could tell that.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. I
1: wasn't even really sure how to hold the drumsticks, but I did my best.
3: Do you think that there's a kind of analogue mind and a digital mind? Because if you have been born into a world where you have always known the screen, you have always got your information, where Google is the verb Mm. that we use in order to search information... I can't help but think that your actual neural pathways are changed by that experience, mm. aren't they? And I think we could all agree, no matter the purpose of a company, that actually, of, you know, there are very obvious downsides to that.
1: You know, it's interesting. My experience with technology... I think speaks to what you just described. So I graduated from university in 1995 and I remember being handed an internet uh, email address by my university and they said, here, here's a, and I thought to myself, why would I ever need this? Like literally what would I do with this thing? And so I would probably conceive of myself as quite an analog person, at least in my origin days back when I was 22 coming into the working world and my career has definitely i would say in many ways followed the path of the internet's growth i'm now 50 and i'm doing sort of this job that obviously is working for this incredible internet company and bringing our tools and technology to people but i still i would say and my husband would probably corroborate this am quite an analog person in my in my daily habits well, you're, um, you're a gen Well, you gen x i am a gen yeah, x i'm a Boomer by about, I'm a Boomer by
2: about two weeks. I'm slightly resentful because he isn't. um, (laughs) But I I always say this, and my kids don't believe it. But I did computer studies in my last year at school, but with no computers. We just talked about the possibility of computers and how they might revolutionise our lives. And I honestly thought a bit like you with your email. I just thought these women are wasting their breath. We're never. This this is not going to take off.
3: Oh, funny, uh, Debbie. Can we talk yeah. about being a woman in a man's world? Sure. Because tech really has been a man's world, and that's backed up by all of the statistics, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, most of the coding, original coding and current coding, has been and is being done by men. There still exists, uh, actually, I found quite a shocking statistic about the gender pay gap. Uh, tech startups in the UK have a twenty-six percent gender pay gap, mm. which is bad. <laughs> uh, women make up just six. of the IT engineering workforce. How do we as women therefore feel confident and how do you feel confident in your job that more than half of the world's population is being properly represented and kind of looked after as well?
1: Yeah, this is a really important topic and issue for me personally, and and the company is doing a lot about this, but certainly I personally am And trying to be a real leader in this space, I'd say I would answer in two ways. There's things that we're doing at Google, uh, at our own company, and then there are things that we're sort of doing out in the world to try to help women everywhere be more successful, and even girls. We'll talk maybe a bit about what we do with Girl Guides and how we have a a specific kind of digital discovery patch that we've developed with our engineers that actually encourages girls to get into STEM, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. I was a Girl Guide myself, and my daughter was a was a Girl Scout as well. Um, But within the company, uh, we are very focused on all the, the sort of levers that we can pull. So representation being sort of a key one. But representation is both something that we move the needle on through hiring, but also through retention. So we want to make sure women feel like they can continue to be successful. Once you kind of bring them in, how do you make sure that they are successful, can see themselves grow and in their own careers? And certainly that's been my experience throughout my career is looking up and sort of seeing who's up there that I can look up to and aspire to be like. And what is your retention <clears throat> rate? Do you have a statistic for that? I'm um, Our retention rate for women is... is quite comparable to what it is for men. So I think that we feel pretty good about that. The way we typically look is sort of looking at equity and making sure that those statistics are roughly even. I don't have the number off the top of my head. Um, But our numbers in terms of representation are not where they need to be. And we're very focused on that fact. So I would say it's particularly true in our engineering and technical areas. And that's why a lot of the work we're doing is not just bringing people into the company, but making sure they feel like once they're there, they're going to stay. So we have a lot of programs around that. Just this morning, I was at a mentoring program for women um, at our King's Cross office. But then it's also what we're doing out in the community so that women not only can succeed at Google, but to your point in tech in general. So we do a lot of things with the Women of Silicon Roundabout. Um, We're doing things with university programs. We're doing things, as I said, starting at Girl Guides and sort of younger girls, maybe around four to eight is when we want to do that first kind of, um, moment when girls see the possibility of STEM careers. Um, and then we do a lot with founder funds. And so one program we have is the black founders fund. And I just recently met a, a woman called Lottie White, who is one of our recipients. She has a business that she's founded, um, and she's getting a ton of support around building a network, building knowledge and kind of her ability to succeed. So there's a lot we need to do for sure. Um, but we're extremely focused on making sure, we're certainly engaged with people and women in particular.
2: I mean, the other sadness Mm. is that the startup money just doesn't go very often to Mm. women, does
1: it? It doesn't seem to. It's definitely a big opportunity, I would say. And there are some funders who are dedicated on funding female startups, um, female-founded companies. Um, And, you know, we're certainly focused on mentoring and making sure that we're providing support to, to women founders in London, but also kind of around the world. Um, And that is a big opportunity, I would say. What difference does it
3: make to us as users if the code hasn't been built by women? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that's the really important point we and as I shared at the beginning, we are a for everyone company. Well, if you're for everyone, to your point, you have to be for the 50 percent of people that are women, 50 percent of people that are men. Um, We actually have a lot of our senior leadership in product now that are our women. I don't know if you had a chance to watch some of our big I.O., like our big kind of product launch events. But I'm really proud to see people like Sissy and people, uh, Kathy, Liz, like our leaders on search that are women, female leaders. Um, And I feel like we are trying to build for everyone. Another example, not in in the women's category, but something that's based here in King's Cross that's really incredible is our Accessibility Discovery Center, where we're actually trying to help product managers understand what it's like to be differently abled or disabled when you use our products, and so whether that's your hard of hearing or um, you know you have issues with uh, you know a tremor or something like that, we want to make sure that everyone is understanding what that lived experience is mm. so we can build for them yeah. as well i know when you got this job which is relatively
2: recent isn't it is it? very um, you, you yeah. said some lovely things about the uk and i know rishi sunak is desperate for the uk to be right at the forefront of tech i mean, are we or will we ever be i mean where is there any chance at all that this is going to become the go-to place for tech
1: I find it a really thriving tech place. I mean the history that the UK has in technology and technology development particularly around AI. So if you think of Alan Turing's and the work he was doing, some of the like really foundational work around AI was or originated here. I think with the university system that we have here are some of the best in the world. Um, and for Google, DeepMind, which, uh, yeah, well, you know, well, you'll have based, to explain exactly what, what that is. DeepMind. What, what is DeepMind? Oh, I'm sorry. So DeepMind is um, now combined with our Google research team, and they're doing our kind of leading edge research around AI, artificial intelligence. And um, it's all emanating from, from here in the UK. So for Google, I would say, we very much feel like there is uh, an energy that's happening in London. Uh, I, I don't... I would say, unlike anywhere else, I'm sure my colleagues in California would be enthusiastic about what they're doing, too. But I certainly feel there's an energy that's emanating from, from the U.K. that's really, really powerful.
0: In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer.
3: Debbie Weinstein is our guest on the podcast today, MD of Google UK and Ireland. So we moved the conversation on to policing the web. And I asked her if our online safety bill, which is going through Parliament at the moment, actually goes far enough and whether it is considered a global leader in terms of legislation.
1: Well, I think the online safety bill, we're pleased that it's, I think, come to its final stages, as I understand it. Um, we certainly haven't been waiting for the bill to take the right actions when it comes to our products. Um, and I think that making sure that our products are are safe to be used by all sort of uh, Populations, whether it's kids or, or other people that are that are using our tools, we want to make sure they're safe for everyone. Um, and from a regulatory standpoint, I'd say that we are constantly engaged with all the different parties that work, you know, academics and policymakers, but. Lots of third parties have views on on regulation, and I, um, I'm glad that we've gotten this over the line, and I'm I'm interested in the next phase where we'll actually start getting into the implementation. Is
3: there any point in one country having a really successful online safety bill if other
1: countries don't? I mean, it's just a you're living in a, a really global world. I think that is how we definitely feel is that that um, getting regulation right universally is most helpful, I would say, for people, but also certainly for businesses when it comes to something like a regulation that you have to adjust for every geography. One of our big opportunities we see for businesses is actually exporting their goods around the world. And so if you're a British small business owner, I met a woman um, when I was in Chippenham who makes wool, and she wants to find people who are knitters. This is the point on content. She wants to find people who are everywhere, not just in her little, in her little geography. And so if you're a small business owner, and you're trying to get your wool out to people in France and Italy and the US and Canada, uh, making sure that there are sort of common regulatory standards is extremely helpful to you.
3: And on the much, much darker side, I know you've mentioned that you have a daughter, it's a question that I'd ask of someone who doesn't have a daughter or a son too: how can it be that we have got to a stage in the world where there is so much harm available to our young people online and so much friction around how to clean that up. I mean, from a parental point of view, it sometimes seems absolutely absurd that any platform would be able to host something that is harmful to children full stop. Where's the
1: argument? Just take it down. Just don't let it reach those vulnerable minds. I totally agree. I mean, we are very focused on making sure that our products are safe to use, especially for children. And as you said, as a mom, I'm really concerned about this and focused on this myself. We have systems in place that um, I would say we do our best to operate at 100% perfection. And I'm sure there are times we get it wrong and try to move as quickly as we can to fix it when we do. Um, But whether it's YouTube and sort of our policies for making sure that you can have a supervised experience for your for your teenage kids and see what they're actually watching. We have well-being tools that try to get them to turn it off, um, which is one of the big things, get people back outside and, and doing other things. Safe search, which is, you know, if you're signed in and you're under 18, there's a safe search experience turned on by default. So there's a lot of things that we have built into our to our products, but you know it's an area of ongoing, really intense focus, I'd say, across the company. Mm. But um, parental controls
2: are, um, are it, tech people are notorious for making absolutely certain that their own offspring, if they have them, do not spend too much time in thrall to the kind of tech they seem perfectly happy for the rest of the world's kids to absorb 24/7 if they're able to what what do you say to people who are deeply cynical about the methods of companies like your own and in just just the way you seem to dominate the lives of today's young people and actually most of the rest of us if we're honest
1: well, I, um, I I feel that we are trying to be helpful to people in their daily lives, and I think we have a lot of products that help me certainly every day. Um, you know, some of my favorites certainly YouTube. I've worked a lot on that, but Maps for me is like an incredibly oh, never be without your Maps. an incredibly <laughs> helpful product that helps us figure out how we get from one place to another and follow the little blue dot on the fastest route to to school drop off or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I, I honestly sit here and say we're, we're, we are really trying to do our best. Um, and I, you know, I hear the concerns and we're constantly trying to make sure our products are as safe as they possibly can be.
2: You can't use Google in places like China, can you? No, you no. cannot use Google search. I mean, is that, and is there any way that you can, will that ever change? Do you think? I mean, obviously if the totalitarian, totalitarian state suddenly collapses, it might change, but it, you can't tweak the tech to make it
1: possible for the people of China to search things on Google. No, there's a long history of Google's relationship in China. and We were there and now we're no longer there. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't speak to forever because forever is forever. Mm. Um, but there are certainly no plans for us to have a product in China.
3: Can we mm. just look ahead to the future, which sure. is AI dominated? And Jeffrey Hinton, uh, known as the godfather of AI, left Google to have a freer voice, actually, to talk about the future of AI. What he had to say was truly terrifying, Debbie. How scared are you?
1: I'm optimistic, um, but, oh, still as I would though. be. But uh, look, here's what I would say. I'd say that I have not seen a technology that's developed with so much focus on the downside risk um, in my career that I've been working in this space. And so I think the fact that we are all considering what are the risks and the fact that we're hosting the AI Safety Summit here in the UK... Mm-hmm. I think it going to really get into that and delve into making sure we have a common definition of what the risks are and then a process and you know, potentially institutions, et cetera, that help us all manage that. Um, and so we have to do the right things to make sure that we are being responsible from the start. But at the same time, when you think about what the potential is of this technology and how it can help us on – issues around sustainability or healthcare. You know the fact that you could have 8% improvement in, in a breast cancer diagnosis to actually know that this is either a false negative or a false positive is profound. And so I want to make sure that we get that balance right where we can bring the benefits of this technology forward while mitigating the risks. And so this isn't something that Google can do alone. We need to do this together with the whole industry, with other companies that are operating this space, with governments, to your point, not just the UK, but... Globally, um, so it's a it's a hard endeavor, but I I think there is so much potential for us um, as as a society from this technology that I really hope we get those risks understood and um, mitigated so that we can bring forward the potential. But
2: do you think at the moment the luddites, when it comes to AI, have got the loudest voices? Because you're right, actually, most of what comes at me just sounds t- terrifying, yeah. utterly frightening, and
1: I I want to hear more about the positives. Potential. Yeah. yeah. Well, here, here's one thing to say is that AI has actually been with us for a long time already. And I think some people don't quite realize. So let's talk about Google Maps for a second. We, we I think, share a love for Google Maps. Well, I wouldn't go as far as love. Love. To. Oh, I love... I, I, When I moved to California, I, I had, it was hard, I would say, to move to a new place with young family, etc. Mm. I thought about writing a personal thank you note to the people who read Google Maps because when you move to a new place and you don't know how to get from point A to point B, it is really helpful. Well, you used to be able to have just a map. <laughs> yes. And I also have... Do you, I remember many, many stories and massive arguments between my parents yes. and bet- yeah. with my now husband about yeah. wasn't the turning back there? And yeah. so the map was upside down. I feel that we have saved many, many okay. relationships as a result of Google Maps. Um, but in all seriousness, like, so, so you think about how AI shows up there. So we, we launched recently a product that helps you with um, sort of a, a way to manage your carbon footprint and have eco friendly routes. So if you go on Google Maps today, there's a little green leaf by the one that's more Mm eco-friendly. How is that done? Well, it basically looks at historic traffic patterns... On whatever route you're making, and it gives you a recommendation on this is the one that is likely to produce the least carbon least amount of carbon. And as a result of that, I think that's only about a year old. Right. It's equivalent to taking two hundred fifty thousand cars off the road, diesel cars or, or fuel. Yeah. Based do you cars.
2: have to be an electric car to really make it work? No,
1: no. It's for it's for anybody because it, it's based on the route that you're going to take and the the degree to which you can stay at the same speed. You know, all the things okay. that that contribute to um, generating carbon. So that's a really small example, but for me. Um, That's actually been with us for a long time, these AI kind of improvements on Google Maps or um, the fact that if you go into search, it'll sometimes autocomplete for you or it'll spell check for you. Right. If if some of us don't remember how to spell things or if you're speaking American English and you come to the UK, you've got to get your your proper vowels in there. Um, So those are all things that are AI driven, honestly. Mm. And so people actually, I think, interact with AI more maybe than they than they realize. Um, So that's one of the things we try to remind people of.
3: But the thing that we seem to be being told at the moment is that the genie is somewhere already out of its box Mm. and that it's too late to change some things that have been, you know, the way that AI has been kind of impregnated might actually be a malicious force in the future. Do you think that's true?
1: Um, I I mean, I think that AI is, is one of, like any technology, has you know, many evolutions and it's a giant umbrella concept that actually encompasses so many different things. It's, it's, it's the auto correct. It's the help you get somewhere faster. It is a technology, I think that um, can be used in many different ways. And so it, it's hard to answer that question because yeah. I don't think it, it's not like what like the work that Alan Turing was doing. And it's very hard to go back to that moment and unlearn what, what he was doing. So I think what we want to really focus on is the impact that this technology can have that we all want to avoid um, and make sure that we're really clear eyed about where the risks are and govern sort of that use. Um, and I think that's the place that we really need to focus most. Maybe one day AI is going to switch off all the maps, and there'll be a whole generation
3: of oh people God, that doesn't know just how to get anywhere. with each other <laughs> and don't get from A to B ever
2: again. Can we just have a quick word from you on how what your qualifications are, genuinely? Because people will be listening, thinking, "How? I mean, how do I become this woman? How does my daughter get to be this woman? What does she need to do? Does she need a degree in I don't know one thing or another? Yeah. What, what is
1: the answer to that?" Yeah. Well, I don't think there is a single answer. I often will speak to young people. Like I said, when I graduated uni, the internet barely existed. But what was Um, your degree in? My degree was in international relations and economics. Oh, okay, right. Um, So I I would say economics is sometimes considered a dismal science, but not exactly (laughs) a science in the computer science sense. But... so I, uh, my answer is usually that you can study lots of things, and I think that it's more about, for me, academics, it, it was more about learning how to reason and learning how to write and learning how to make arguments and things like that, which I think is a useful skill forever. Um, you know, I'm often asked about, gosh, I'm reading these stories that AI actually can do computer coding, and we've just trained this whole generation they need to get into STEM. Mm. Well, what if the AI is actually able to do computer coding? The reality is it's, it's about having a comfort with technology, which is why I think things like the girl guiding is so important, making sure young people are comfortable with technology, girls and boys. Um, but then I think the, the disciplines of the humanities are still super relevant, possibly more relevant than ever. If you think about the risks that we're thinking about, so degrees in philosophy and understanding history and sociology and psychology, I mean, those things I think okay. all remain incredibly relevant. And your very first job was... My very first job was in investment banking. Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs. That was a long time ago. Did you know
2: Rishi Sunak? I did not
1: know Rishi Sunak, no. But I think, yes... I think he's after me.
3: Actually, oh, okay, he'll be back there soon. <laughs> Google is uh, very well known for its kind of futuristic uh, places of work. Mm. So here in the UK, in London, you've uh. got two big sites. Uh, there were allotments on the roof, weren't there? Are yeah. they still there? They are still yep. there. Okay. Still there. Uh, do you still have a pick and mix bar? We do in your cafeteria. yeah uh, Do you still have massage rooms and wellness centers? We are very committed to our well-being of our employees. Do yes. you still have a what would you call it? Is like a soft play, a ball, ball kind ball of arc. Yes. You yeah. do? Ball pit. Yeah. A I, ball pit. I think there is still a ball pit,
1: Okay, yes. that's very unhygienic. I, okay, I, I agree, I agree. it uh, was closed during COVID, but yeah. Do you have yeah. a creche? We do not have a creche in this office. We do have some incredible facilities in the Bay Area, nursery schools and, and things of that nature. You can't go and drop your kid off. At work it's you can't. it's good. It's a good. It's a good thought. Debbie
3: Weinstein, our guest today, and I think the crash at work thing, Jane, um, I just think it's still hugely important. And it is a bit of a bugbear of mine that officers can be celebrated uh, for all of their glorious mm. other things. But the thing that would help out so many parents, and that's not just say mums, so many parents... Is uh, if early years childcare could be in the same building as you? Well, I, I could not agree more. I mean, it's got to—it's slightly farcical the way we, in, we we seem to encourage
2: the notion that having a child is some sort of feminine indulgence, that it's something we just want. We need, people need
3: to repopulate
2: this country. We do
3: need people to have children. But I don't think it's that. And I think the, the workplace crash is just such a hugely important... Well, how much easier would it be to encourage them? Yeah. yeah, but balancing out the parenting. Because well, that, yeah. I see so many dads dropping their little ones off at nurseries all around us. You know, we live in a really high-density part of London... Um, and in order really to afford to rent or live in that part of London, I think both parents, if you've you know, got both your parents, uh, are working. It's just a fact, you know, there really aren't very many stay-at-home mums. So you'll see loads and loads of dads out at, you know, quarter to eight in the morning, mm. child screeching in a buggy. Off they, you know, they've got to get to nursery, they've got to get to this different destination before they can then go to work. So there's all of the geography of that. Obviously, it could be the mum too, Put the dad first there, Jane. Well but also just that feeling. Do you remember that feeling of having to leave your tiny one? I really struggled with that. And if I could have been closer to both of my children when they were tiny mm. and I went back to work, I just would have been so much happier. If I just knew that they were in the same building, it 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 would have been
2: lovely. It shouldn't be impossible. I don't know, can there be any logical explanation? Is it health and safety? Is it insurance? What is stopping major employers from doing this?
3: I think there are two things. Uh, I think the cost of it is high. uh, And I think some companies uh, actually want you to shut out quite a lot of your other life And when you come to work, you are fully focused. Mm. And there's quite a lot of evidence uh, that, you know, if you put in a gym, uh, you know, a cinema room, whatever it is, all of those kind of more playful things, then you keep your employees in the building. They stay longer. They work harder. But Google UK, they've got an allotment. They've got allotments on the roof. Mm. And they've
2: got pick and mix. They certainly have. And they've got a ball pit. (laughs) They certainly have. (laughs) Okay. Can we just combine the themes of the day with this enchanting email from Karen? Please do. In 1989, whilst my seven-year-old was staying with her grandmother, she was thrilled that her granny's dead dog had jumped on her bed in the night to visit her. She thought the dog had come back to life until she stroked her and her hand just went straight straight through
3: it. Her hand
2: went straight through her. Do that again? It wasn't until she was in her late 20s that she revealed that this had happened to her. My mother revealed that this dog was actually a regular visitor. It used to race around the garden. She had just left the world too early. Wow. Spooky. We don't know whether the dog did any ghostly doggy do's. We'll have to assume
3: not. Right. Are you dressing up for <laughs> Halloween tonight? <laughs> I have done. Yes, this is it. <laughs> Okay.
2: Will you be answering the door? Or no. Well, actually, we've we've okay. on so long that I don't think there'll be time. Okay. It's always my intention to go on so long that I don't have to do any trick or treating guests tonight.
3: Oops. Are you one of those uh, very very uh, health conscious neighbours who just has uh, some really lovely Satsumas yes, and so a little I, wooden toy for the kiddies? The- <laughs> I'll put out
2: my plate of carrot batons so they can help themselves. Lovely.
3: Okay, happy Halloween, everybody. Yes, get spooking.
2: You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings. Otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover.
3: We miss the modesty class. (laughs) Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want
2: even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week. And you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day as well as a genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects.
3: Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.